I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's game against Bournemouth coming up at the weekend. The Gunners, fresh off the back of having extended their lead at the top of the Premier League table to five points, now take on Bournemouth with an opportunity to perhaps capitalise on City dropping points earlier in the day. I like to think that that is a possibility because, of course, they take on Newcastle United. But, yeah, I mean, we can't get too carried away or obsessed even by what it is that Manchester City are doing. You know, focus on our job. Uh, We've got that five-point lead, that five-point cushion. Obviously, we have to go to the Etihad as well, which isn't going to be easy. We have to go to Anfield. We have to go to Newcastle. So... Yeah, we've just got to be able to kind of ignore those things for now, focus on this cluster of games that we have at the moment, which I think could be really, really significant in the title race and um, and see where we are when we come out the other side of it. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, thank you to those of you joining me live. A big hello to those of you uh, who will be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on as well. Um, but yeah, good to see so many of you in the live chat. Uh, big hello to Temi to Henry, to Creambone, to Vlad, uh, to Jimmy, to Riddy, to Ginger Guna, Nav is with us, Chris Chan, uh, Nobby Clark is there, Steve is there as well. Um, Good to see you guys, as I say. So what are we going to do on this show? Well, we're going to preview the game. We're going to be doing our normal statistical preview. We are going to be uh, talking starting 11. We're going to be uh, providing some predictions, getting your predictions of course, uh, from the um, from the chat box as well. We're also going to discuss Gabriel Jesus because Mikel Arteta uh, spoke earlier today to the media ahead of the game tomorrow and said he's not far now. Ho, ho, ho. Encouraging noises coming out of London Colney uh, with, with regards to the fitness of one of our best players and someone who was so important to our success in the early part of the season. Thankfully, we've been able to continue um, you know, sort of in his absence. But I think we can all agree that we're a much better team uh, with him in it. So I look forward to getting him back. I'm sure a lot of you guys do as well. So we'll be talking about that. We'll also be uh, doing a bit of a Q&A session. And I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on something concerning the wider football world. FIFA, according to reports, are considering a new game clock rule in football to stamp out time wasting. What do you think about that? I'll tell you a little bit more about that and get you guys' thoughts on that later on in the show, as I say. So I think the best place to start is with our uh, Premier League statistical preview. So I'm going to jump over to PremierLeague.com. Arsenal taking on Bournemouth in the Premier League, Saturday 3pm kickoff. Um, Another Arsenal game that's not televised in the UK. Frustrating. I know People have means now of of finding the games, but it's just annoying that you kind of have to go through that, isn't it? Uh, But let's look at the head-to-head between these two sides. In the Premier League era, 11 meetings between the two. Arsenal have won eight. Bournemouth have won one. And there have been two draws between these two sides. Now, if you take it back uh, to very, very early on in the season, 
to Saturday the 20th of August to be specific. Arsenal beat Bournemouth by three goals to nil at the Vitality Stadium. It was a really, really good performance that day if you cast your mind back. Going back further than that to Boxing Day of 2019, uh, it finished Bournemouth 1, Arsenal 1, of course, uh, at their place. If you go back to October 6th, 2019, Arsenal beat Bournemouth by a goal to nil at Emirates Stadium. Take it back to the 27th of February, 2019. Arsenal beat them by five goals to one. And if you go back to Sunday, the 25th of November, 2018, Arsenal ran out 2-1 winners again at Bournemouth. So if you look at that, Arsenal have won one, two, three, four of the last five meetings. And there's been one draw between the two sides during that period of time. So, yeah, it's it's difficult, though, to really make judgments when you look back at these statistics, because first and foremost, Arsenal are not the same team that they were in 2019, uh, in 2018. You could argue that Arsenal are not even the same team that they were, um, you know, in August. That's how much this team has evolved and has changed and has grown and has developed. Uh, so on, in that sense, it's really difficult to kind of draw too many conclusions from that. But the other thing is that referencing 2019, 2018, etc. was a very different Bournemouth side, um, you know, in their last spell in the Premier League. And so, again, how much can you really read into that when um, when trying to kind of form uh, your opinions and predictions around this one? I'd say they're not really that relevant, but we do uh, always want to look at the stats. We do share the stats uh, with you to try and paint that picture, at least going into the game. If you look at the form guide, Arsenal have won three of their last five Premier League games. Obviously, uh, of course, we uh, lost to Everton and then uh, we dropped points at home to Brentford under controversial circumstances. Then we were beaten by Manchester City. And at that point, people started to wonder if Arsenal were going to stay in this title race for the duration or if Arsenal were going to start to fade away. But since then, We've, resp- we've responded with three consecutive wins. Aston Villa away by four goals to two. Leicester City away by a goal to nil. And then that thumping of Everton uh, just the other night as well. So we're in good shape going into this. We're in good form. Lots of positives because Thomas Partey returned, uh, played a full half of football, looked really, really good. Um, looked probably as good as he's looked all season. I thought it was a, a sensational performance from him. I thought in the second half, really, Arsenal were purring. You know, they were fantastic. And they looked like they just kind of clicked back into gear after a little period of time where we went off the boil. And then, you know, victories at Aston Villa and Leicester that maybe, although in terms of the performance were okay, especially the Leicester one, you know, they were decided by sort of fine margins. You know, Aston Villa, we get that goal in stoppage time off the back of the goalkeeper's head, a little bit of fortune that we maybe needed. And then at Leicester, you know, for all the dominance, for all the possession, we couldn't score more than once. So, yeah, we won the game and the performance was good. But in terms of the margins with which we won the game, or both of those games, they weren't very significant. Then Arsenal went one better, though, as I say, against Everton and really put Sean Dyche's side, a side who had caused us so many problems less than a month ago. Uh, you know, we went and put them to the sword and put ourselves, obviously, uh, in a strong position now at the top of the table. So how does the Premier League table read in terms of these two teams? Let's have a look at their seasons so far. The Gunners have won um, 19 
of their Premier League games so far. We've drawn three and lost three. Uh, Bournemouth sit in 19th at the moment, having won just five Premier League games all season. They've drawn on six occasions and been beaten on 13. Goals are a problem for Bournemouth, generally speaking. Arsenal, on average, uh, scored 2.24 per game in the Premier League. Bournemouth managed 0.92. Average goals conceded. Bournemouth averaged two per game. That is nowhere near good enough. Arsenal, less than one. Uh, they've managed five clean sheets. Arsenal have managed 11. They don't create that many chances based on what the Premier League website classes as a chance. I, I always say this to you guys on every preview. I'm not really sure what you sort of quantify as a chance um, or, or sorry, what you, you classify, I should say, as a chance um, by their criteria, because I think Arsenal certainly create more than the 1.96 that they've got on there. Uh, their biggest win was a 3-0 win at home to Everton. Their worst defeat, though, was a 9-0 loss at Liverpool. So, yeah, they've had uh, they've had. Some positive results this season, but they've also uh, been on the receiving end of some absolute spankings. If you look at the top player stats, this is dominated by Arsenal players. Goals, Gabriel Martinelli leads the way in the Premier League with 11, uh, having scored four in his last three matches. Bukayo Saka sits in second with 10, Martin Odegaard in third with nine. When it comes to assists, Bukayo Saka's on nine, Martin Odegaard's second on six and Gabby Jesus, despite having been out for such a long time, still remains in the top three when it comes to these two teams uh, and assists. Passes the two Arsenal centre backs, as you'd expect. William Saliba tops the pile. Gabriel Magalhaes in second with Ben White in third. And in terms of tackles, Ben White uh, is at the top of this particular table. Thomas Partey sits second on 44. And Philip Billing of Bournemouth uh, has managed 40 so far. So those are the statistics. That's my statistical uh, preview. Um, I think the best place to kind of go next is is with the starting eleven because you know we've seen Arsenal over the last few weeks and there's uh, and there's been a few debates. You know there really have been. You know what do we do with um, the left sided position? What do we do with Enketia? Uh, Mikel Arteta has sort of reminded us that you know Eddie Enketia has had. A few issues, uh, sort of minor injury problems that have probably contributed to his omission from the side. But you have to say that it's worked without him, hasn't it? And that's no disrespect to Eddie Nketiah. It just feels to me like there's a better understanding between Martinelli, especially, and uh, and and Trossard, if he's the one that plays through the middle, in a similar way to the the, the way there was a good understanding between Martinelli and Jesus at the start of the season. There's not some telepathic connection, but it feels like the fact that somebody like Trossard or Jesus, when they play in there, is is more likely to drift into other areas. I think that actually benefits Martinelli, who does like to make runs from outside to in, into those spaces, and then likes to uh, contribute that way. When it comes to Eddie Nketiah, he is a centre-forward, and he very rarely uh, drifts too far left or too far right. Now. Obviously, he does it sometimes, but he doesn't do it anywhere near as frequently or as deliberately as a Trossard or a Gabby Jesus. And I think that makes us a little bit predictable when he plays through the middle. Now, I don't want to dig the lad out. I've said it before. I think he's done a really, really good job in Jesus's absence. Given what I thought he was going to deliver and what he's actually delivered, I think he's done quite well. But the problem is 
is that, you know, we did seem to start to become a little bit too predictable. And I think that caused us problems in breaking certain teams down. Thankfully, with Trossard sort of coming into the picture a little bit more and, and sort of featuring more prominently, we've got another dimension. Martinelli's form has picked up, I think, partly as a result of Trossard coming in and, and doing what he's done. And I think now we have a firing Martinelli, we have a firing Bukayo Saka, and we have a Leandro Trossard who can really, really impact games. What a signing that might prove to be uh, come the end of the season. So personally, when it comes to the starting lineup, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, I know that you might look at Bournemouth and think, you know, with a Europa League game coming up, this is one uh, that we could... Um, you know, this is one that we could uh, rotate in. This is one that we could uh, make changes in and, and potentially get away with it. But I think that this is the side that I would go for. So I'd go with Ramsdale in goal. I'd go with White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back. Thomas Partey will come into the starting lineup for me. And look, if we're in a good position and he can come off early, then great happy days as we sort of build him up uh, to full fitness again. Um, but yeah. Yeah, um, that that's what I do in midfield. Jacka and Odegaard alongside him with Martinelli, Saka and Trossard through the middle. Uh, Des in the chat says, Eddie's out injured, Harry. Uh, Mikel Arteta said earlier today that we're assessing him uh, and it's a bit uncertain what's going to happen. He said, let's keep the options open. He's very positive about it, so hopefully he'll be fine. So Mikel Arteta hasn't ruled out Eddie and Ketia. Um, Riddy in the chat says that the sporting game is five days from tomorrow, which is ample time. So no need for changes. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's the game in which you can make some changes. So I wouldn't want to risk a Premier League game uh, in order to, you know, have a fresh team, for example, um, you know, in Lisbon. I think, yeah, I care about the Europa League. I really do. And I want us to go far in it and I want us to succeed. And and I think that Mikel Arteta is very much someone who believes in momentum. And I don't think he'll want to throw any of those games away. Uh, but to find ourselves in this position in the Premier League with, what, 13 games to go, you really do have to, you really do have to assess your priorities and, and reassess your priorities, I guess. You really do have to think long and hard about what it is you want to get from things and, and how it is that you want to move forward. And yeah, um, I think for me, the best thing to do would be uh, to go with the strongest 11 tomorrow, get the points on the board against Bournemouth. I've talked about the importance of this cluster of five games. It included the Everton game that we played the other day as well. Um, I, you know, I, I really think that if we can get 13 out of 15 points, for example, we'll be in really, really good shape going into the run-in. So, yeah, um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Let's see where we end up. But yeah, um, in terms of the team, I'm going full strength. And look, what we've seen Arsenal be able to do in recent games is be able to make changes later on in matches and and bring on players who have been desperate to prove themselves, desperate to work their way back up to fitness. And they've come on and impacted the game. So, you know, it's nice that we now have that option. But for me, that's the team that starts. Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko. Uh, Partey in the middle, Odegaard on the right, Xhaka on the left of that midfield trio with Martinelli on the left wing, Saka on the right wing and Trossard through the middle. Uh, Stan the man says, I'd rather use Jorginho for Europa and save Partey for the league. I Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think Jorginho is probably better suited um, 
you know, to the Europa League and, and could probably do a pretty solid, sound job in there in that competition, especially against the likes of Sporting Lisbon, to whom I mean no disrespect. Uh, also, though, quickly, on the subject of Sporting Lisbon, bear with me one second. Turning the heating on in here. It's gone a little bit chilly. Um, would you guys be interested in um, in a watch-along for the Sporting Lisbon away leg? I'm not going out to Lisbon. Uh, it is an early kickoff, isn't it? So if you're interested in a watch-along, uh, let me know in the chat. Give me a thumbs up. Say yes, whatever. It's been a long, long time since we've done one of those on the channel. But yeah, I think I'd quite like to do one. Um, so if you're interested, let me know if enough people want it and we will do it. Uh, but yeah, so um, Sporting Lisbon coming up on Thursday. But we can't be distracted by that. We've got to focus on this game because this is all that matters right now. You know, it's one game at a time. And every time we get through a game and we get the result that we want, we tick another one off the calendar and we continue moving forward. I've seen people saying, you know, we need to win X amount of games now to win the Premier League title. We need to do this or do that. I've got friends in WhatsApp groups that have uh, sort of sat down and mapped out how they think the remainder of the season's going to go in terms of our results and City's results and, and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's 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 getting into that point in the season where people are looking at the running and they're trying to study it and they're trying to make sense of where we can and, and cannot afford maybe to drop points. I'm still not at that point where I want to do that. I still very much want to take it game by game. I'm sure that's the message that Mikel will be putting across to his team. Uh, and I'm sure that's the kind of mentality he'll want his team to have as well, because it's a dangerous game to play, you know, to get caught up in that whole, oh, you know, well, we, we can afford to drop points in this game. No, you can't. Um, you know, Manchester City for sure are not the Manchester City that we've seen in, in recent years. You know, the results that they've picked up so far have shown that. The fact that they're behind us shows that. Um, that's not to take anything away from Arsenal's achievement because it's a fantastic one to be in this position at this stage in the season. But for all the negativity around Manchester City this season and for all the problems and uh, and, it, and issues, um, you know, we've seen the truth is that Manchester City uh, are a fantastic side with incredible players, with unbelievable talent who are more than capable uh, of going on a, a run of successive victories, eight, nine victories in a row. And when you look at their fixtures, that is really, really possible. So um, we can't afford to rest on our laurels. We can't afford to go easy against anybody. Um, Bournemouth are right down at the bottom of the table. They're struggling. Everybody knows that. And everybody's looking at this game as a banker for Arsenal. But there is no banker in the Premier League. You know, there is no fixture in this division that you can look at and say, absolutely, categorically, I'm going to go out and win that. There's too much quality in this league. Um, there's too many clubs with big name players, star players who could cause you problems. Um, and, and so you just can't afford to ever go into any game with the wrong attitude because if you're not at it, no matter who you're playing, whether they're second in the table or 19th in the table, you could be punished. And um, yeah, we got to, we got to be careful of that. Mindful of that. We need to go out there, do our thing, hopefully, uh, you know, hurt Bournemouth early on in the game. that would be a real confidence sapper for them, you know, get rid of them, in that sense, and and then, you know, build, 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 continue to grow in our confidence 
and um, and hopefully we'll be able to make some changes so that if Mikel Arteta does feel that he needs to put, you know, three or four of the the first team, if you like, uh, in the game against Sporting Lisbon, because it is an away game, it's a difficult game, Sporting Lisbon are no mugs. And he feels like he needs to include a few of them, but they've only played 60, 70 minutes, for example, against Bournemouth, then that becomes a, a more realistic proposition and, and something that then I'm more accepting of. So, yeah, um, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, this could easily be one of those games where we scrape over the line as well. And that's not because I'm discrediting Arsenal. It's not because I particularly rate Bournemouth. It's just because this is the Premier League and we've been burnt before. And we should know that there are no foregone conclusions in this division, in this league. And complacency cannot be allowed to creep in uh, within the walls of the changing room. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, let's go over to Mikel Arteta's press conference, which he gave earlier today. A couple of interesting bits in there uh, that I just wanted to highlight with you guys. So um, let me do that uh, just a second. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And uh, we'll start off, obviously, with the, the kind of big bit from it, which was around Gabriel Jesus. Now, we're all desperate to see him back in the side. Um, Mikel Arteta was asked uh, about the importance of our last three results. Um, you know, does that send the message to our rivals? He said, there are no messages to the opponents. There are just the messages to our players to continue doing the same, but to be better every single day. And that's the only discussion we're having within the squad. Guys, just a quick one. If you, you've got questions, because I've seen a few questions dropped in there, hold on to them and um, we'll, we'll do this bit. We'll do our predictions and then we'll we'll spend some time on questions just because they get lost in the chat. So hold fire on your questions and we'll come back to those in a little bit. Um, he was asked about Gabby Jesus's recovery from injury. And this is the bit uh, that's got a lot of people excited, I think, because Mikel Arteta, uh, probably for the first time, has said, clearly anyway, has said he's not far now. He said, I don't want to give a timeline, but he's doing certain things with the team and certain things outside the team. He's not very close, but he's not far at all. He's feeling better every day and the doctors are confident with the way the injury is evolving. We're in a good place with him, I think. So, you know, there have been reports that Gabby Jesus will be back before the international break. There have been reports that, you know, we're just going to turn up in the next few weeks at some point and see him in the squad list and we're going to be buzzing. There was a question put to Mikel later on in the press conference. I think it was from Charles Watts where he said, you know, is is the plan to sort of get him back involved via an under-21s game or something like that. And, you know, Mikel Arteta didn't give a definitive answer on that, but you'd think that would be a good route back in. Um, alternatively, with the Europa League and with our busy schedule, there will be opportunities for him to kind of get minutes, even from the bench, um, in order to keep things fresh uh, regarding our other options. Of course, I'm sure in the Premier League and I'm sure in uh, the Europa League as well. So whether that friendly thing is necessary. I don't know. Um, 
on whether or not uh, Jesus's recovery has been as expected. Uh, Mikel said, I think it's been pretty straightforward. At the beginning, uh, we were really concerned with the possible extent of the injury uh, because we were talking about a few options there. Thankfully, though, it wasn't that bad, but it was a long-term injury. It required surgery and it's not pleasant, especially the first few weeks. But knowing Gabby, he's been through that before. His mentality is incredible and the team has done a really good job with him to put him in the position that he's in today. So sounds like a positive update on Gabby Jesus. Not quite ready to come back into the picture as far as the first team's concerned just yet. But according to Mikel Arteta, he's not far now, which is the news that we all wanted to hear. Um, lots of talk about uh, Saka's contract situation, reports that there'd been a, an agreement uh, reached verbally just a, a little while ago. Um, so we're waiting on on some news around that. And that's probably why this question was put to Mikel Arteta. And there have been uh, reports from uh, Fabrizio Romano. I don't know if he, was, if he was the original source, but I did see him tweet something earlier today along the lines of uh, William Saliba is very happy at Arsenal. He wants to stay at Arsenal. The contract uh, discussions are progressing nicely. And um, and whilst a conclusion hasn't been reached just yet, uh, there is a, a positive feeling around the talk. So that's good news as well. Mikel Arteta said, um, when asked about Saka, Saliba and the importance of uh, of getting their contract situations resolved, he said every player is very important. There are players with special circumstances contractually we're trying to deal with them. But I don't want to cause any distraction with any of those conversations at this moment. Whenever something is ready to get done and it's good news, we will announce it. So there you go. Um, I mentioned the Enketi a bit, so I, I won't go over that again. Um, he was asked if Jorginho's recovered from illness. Uh, Mikel said, Georgie. I like that he calls him Georgie. Georgie is fine. He had an illness and he was suffering. But to be fair, he put in a great shift in the first half against Everton. We took a decision to take him off, but he's fit now, uh, which is cool. Um, good to have that option available. Whether you think he should start or not is another matter. I've always said he doesn't start ahead of um, <laughs> uh, ahead of Thomas Partey when they're both fit, but he's a fantastic option and a good bit of backup for us. Um, bit of chat about um, uh, about. Gary O'Neill, bit of chat about Bournemouth. There was uh, a question posed to Mikel Arteta about Newcastle United and their ownerships and more controversy has kind of emerged uh, with that. But Mikel refused to comment. Uh, he was asked again later on uh, at what stage Jesus is with his recovery. He says there's no contract training, uh, contract contact, I should say, training just yet. I should hope so. That would be... Um, maybe pushing it a little bit at this stage, given that we think he's probably still a few weeks away. So, um, yeah, as expected there. But that's what Mikel Arteta had to say uh, in the build up to this one. Remember, 3 p.m. kickoff uh, tomorrow. OK, um, predictions then. Cool. Um I'm going to go for Arsenal 2, Bournemouth 0. I don't think it's going to be the 6, 7 nil. Uh, eight nil. I saw someone suggest in the comments uh, victory that um, you know some people are foreseeing. It would be lovely if we could produce a result like that. Not only does it help with the collective confidence, it helps with the individual confidence of those that find the goals, and obviously it helps us with the goal difference thing because uh, Manchester City are always very very strong 
in that particular column of the table. And um, so if you can be close to them in that sense or, uh, you know, to the point where a, a small swing would change it, then you always want to be there, don't you? So, uh, yeah, it would be nice if we could produce that type of result. But a 2-0 victory for me is my uh, official prediction here. Um, right, let's get some of your questions, some of your thoughts uh, in the live chat box. Start getting them in. And while you do that, uh, I'm going to take a very, very short pause. And when I return, we'll be getting... Uh, stuck into those questions. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Uh, let's do this. Let's get your questions um, up on the screen. Let's work through as many of them as we can. Let's have a look at some of your uh, predictions as well. Nav is very confident. He's gone for 7-0. Chip Chop's gone for 3-0. Uh, Cross Stagger NX has gone for 5-0. Riddy's gone 2-0 like me. Uh, Paul Nell has gone for a 3-0 to the Arsenal. BX Gunner 81, 3-1 to the Arsenal. Um, so, yeah. Everyone's feeling confident, it seems. That's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> I hope. We hope. Uh, Joe Huss says, do you think Saka might get a 45 or 30-minute rest tomorrow? If the game state allows it, I am all for it. Um the game state will dictate what Mikel Arteta can and can't do, um, you know, with regards to bringing players on, giving key players a breather. So, you know, you you as a manager, you dream of going out, putting the game to bed, um, sort of establishing a, a very strong cushion. And then, yeah, you know, you can then go on and, uh, you know, make those changes as and when you see fit manage the minutes of individuals. Uh, one of the things I thought Mikel Arteta did really well during the group stages of the Europa League was manage the minutes of everybody. You know, the squad was smaller at that point. We had a few problems, but it was like, you know, he'd play half of the 11, half of the starting 11. Not that you can play exactly half because 11's an odd number before someone's a smart ass in the comments. But, you know, he'd kind of play half of the, the first 11, rotate the rest, and then we'd play the following group game and he'd play the other half of the first 11 and rotate the rest. And I thought he managed that really, really well. And it was something that we pointed out uh, during that time in the season as well. So, um, yeah, as I say, look, if the game state allows it, then I'm all for it. Because Bukayo Saka, as much as he's a talisman for us, and he's so, so important, and you want him on the pitch as much as possible, you know, he is still young. He is capable of burning out. You know, we saw little uh, sort of glimpses of that, I thought, last season. Um when we got kind of deep into the campaign. So, yeah, um, I, I would want to protect him. The question is, will we be able to based on how the game goes? Uh, really says, Harry, do you think Trossard and Martinelli is our best combination up front so far this season? Um, I think it's a good combination. I'm, I talked earlier about the understanding that I believe the two players have. Obviously, that's a huge positive. But is it our best combination up front? Not for me. Uh, stick Gabriel Jesus back in there, a fully fit, um, Gabriel Jesus, you know, jogging around the pitch, sprinting, closing people down when he needs to, backing into defenders when he needs to, drifting out left and right to support Saka and Martinelli. For me, he is the perfect player to get the best out of those two wide men. Trossard is closer to him in terms of some of the things that he does, um, his movement being one of them. And I think Martinelli has benefited from that. Look, I don't want to take anything away from Martinelli, though. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not suggesting that Martinelli uh, was only 
below par for a little while because of Eddie and Ketty. That's not fair. Um, Eddie and Ketty is a different proposition. He plays a different way. And, you know, as a, as a wide man, you've got to adapt um, to kind of make that relationship work. And again, as I said earlier, I'm not slagging off Eddie and Ketia. I just think there are more similarities in terms of their off-the-ball movement between Leandro Trosser and Gabriel Jesus. And as a consequence of that, Martinelli's been able to get back to what he was doing earlier on in the season with such great effect. Uh, so for me, the best front three that Arsenal have right now is still Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right, and Jesus through the middle. But obviously, uh, in the former Man City man's absence, we've had to try different things, and um, and and Trossard has, has stepped up and done very well. I think. Um, Ginger Guna says, "How did you feel Emil Smith Rowe did in the short stint he had on Wednesday?" All right, um, I, you know, I didn't see anything that was particularly outstanding from Emil Smith Rowe. I can remember him giving the ball away a couple of times, but again, you know, it was often when he was trying to play that killer pass because of the position uh, that we were in in the match. You know, you you try and do it that little bit earlier uh, when you know that there is very little risk of the game turning around. So, yeah, um, I thought he did OK. But for me, with Emil Smith-Rowe, there's never been any question marks over his talent. I think I said infamously on this podcast uh, when him and Smith Rowe, uh, when him and Saka, I beg your pardon, first came through, I actually thought in terms of natural ability that Emil Smith Rowe was at a higher level than Bukayo Saka. But that Saka had the pace and the speed and, uh, and and the work ethic and all of those things. And that elevated his level for me. Um, I still think in terms of being naturally gifted, I think Emil Smith Rowe is as good, if not better. The problem is that his body's let him down an awful, awful lot. And when you got those kind of problems at that type of age, it's, you know, it, it doesn't bode well for the future. So, yeah, um, I'd like to see him come back in and make an impact. And we're going to need him as much as we're going to need everybody else within the squad to contribute in the key moments. But I, I couldn't really take too much away from his performance. Um, you know, and, and when I say couldn't take too much away, I mean, in terms of it didn't really give me an indicator um, around the Mill Smith row. And it didn't really show me anything that I didn't know or re-emphasize anything that I did know. I thought it was just a bit insignificant. Does that make sense? Sounds like a negative word, insignificant, but that's not how I meant it, but you know what I mean. Um, Temi Ola says, is Eddie injured? Mikel Arteta said he'll be assessed. So that's all we know about that. Um, that's all we know about that at the moment. He's obviously carrying something. He didn't look great against Everton um, at the end of the match when he'd obviously come on as a substitute, bagged an assist, but then wasn't moving very freely at the end of the game. So we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see what, what happens there. But um, I probably wouldn't start him anyway. So am I massively concerned? No, but he'd be nice to have as an option off of the bench as well, because he can inject a little bit of energy um, when, when necessary in the, the dying embers of a game. Uh, David John says, when Jesus comes back into the team, who will be dropped from the bench to make room for him? Um, for me, it's whoever's playing in the centre-forward role uh, in his absence. So right now, it will be Trossard for me. Um, I think Trossard's been great. I think he's been effective. I think he's been, um, you know, he's been integrated into the group really well. But 
he isn't Gabby Jesus. So I don't think anyone is, and that's the that's the kind of issue. Uh, uh, going to take a few more. Angel Hernandez says, how do you rate Enketia uh, with the games he's had since the Jesus injury? I think Enketia has shown that he's a good Premier League striker, but is he an elite, elite Premier League striker? Is he the type of striker that will win you games by himself? Is he the type of striker worthy of leading the line of the English champions elect in a lot of people's eyes? Probably not, but he's what we had. Um, he's had to add things to his game that maybe weren't really key characteristics of his in order to try and uh, fill that Jesus-shaped void as best as possible. So I commend his effort and his work rate, but I think there's just something missing with Eddie Nketiah. Um, Not sure exactly what it is. Can't really put my finger on uh, an exact thing, but I just the movement isn't quite as clever in my opinion isn't quite as um subtle in the sense of it doesn't really go unnoticed when he tries to work his way into space i think he goes and hangs around center backs as your more traditional number nines will do but then doesn't ever or, or doesn't often enough in my opinion pull them out of position stretch them and create the space for others in the way that jesus can uh, Vlad says, did you notice the intentional overloading that we used against Everton on the right side? Ari, the first goal. Is that something we'll see Arteta rely on more against deeper blocks? I think it was just adding a bit of variety to our game. We see that overload created on the left-hand side quite a bit because of Zinchenko's tendency to drift in field, um, willingness to drift in field because of Xhaka's positioning, uh, because Martinelli holds the width. We, we see that a lot um, happening on the left-hand side. I think what just happened was that it got to a stage in the first half where we were struggling to break them down. And and I don't know whether it was a, a, an instruction passed on from the manager at the sidelines or whether the players took it upon themselves to just try and do something a little bit different. Because if you look at it again, uh, Zinchenko's in a really advanced position on the right-hand side, which is the opposite side to where you'd normally find him. So maybe just a, an understanding and acceptance of the fact that they weren't really getting much joy down the left. And just wanting to add a little bit of variety to their game has, has given them that that yard that they needed and then subsequently the goal uh, that they desperately needed. Okay, uh, let's take a few more. A lot of similar questions. So if I'm ignoring them, I'm not ignoring them. I've read them. It's just because I've probably answered uh, a lot of them already based on some of the questions that we've already had. Um, Stan says last match Martinelli spent more time through the middle with Trossard more from the left very free-flowing style agreed and that's what we would get with Jesus as well if you look at Gabriel Jesus's heat map um, over the course of the season when he was obviously fit and playing um, he was on the left-hand side quite a bit and um, and that obviously contributed to us A creating overloads but B being that little bit more unpredictable and then opening up channels for midfield runners to get forward and contribute to. Steve says, Harry, taking your Arsenal hat off, if you were Saliba, would you wait till the end of the season before deciding your future? Um, no, I probably wouldn't. I'd, I'd probably feel like I've seen enough now to know that this is a club moving in the right direction. I'd have known, I'd have learned enough by now about Mikel Arteta's management style, about my teammates, about the project. And I think I would sign on the dotted line tomorrow if I were William Saliba. Um, I understand it isn't that easy. 
or that William Saliba doesn't have that affiliation with the football club that me or you would have. But I just think, you know, based on where we are right now, you could argue that he's seen enough. There may be a, a temptation or, or there may be a bit of curiosity um, kicking in here in terms of wanting to know what other people would be willing to pay for you. Um, and I think, you know, understanding the other interest out of there would be, or the other interest out there would be something that he probably owes himself to take a look at. Often, a lot of the holdups are, are agents. I know people always say that the agent works for the player, therefore the player has the final say. But a lot of the time, the player will step back and just let the agent um, negotiate. And if that means it taking its time, then sometimes that happens. And and in order to prevent the friction between the player and the club, the player will always say, well, it's not me, it's my agent. And the club will always say, well, we're not really having any issues with the player, but we're having issues with the agent. The agent is that go-between, is that buffer, um, and often is is the cause for delaying these types of things. So, um, yeah, I, I, if I was Saliba, I think I'd have seen enough by now to know whether this is the place for me. And I think it absolutely bloody is. Um, right, guys, if I could ask you before we go to please leave a like on the video, it really, really does help. Um, I know we're a bit late getting this preview out, so it hasn't got that much longevity um, or, or shelf life, as I should say, uh, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but we'll be back and we'll be back on Sunday morning uh, to review uh, the Bournemouth game at length. Um, instant reaction and player ratings will be coming to you from Emirates Stadium on uh, Saturday evening as soon as they, well, within the hour of the full-time work. Basically, as soon as I can get solid enough internet connection to upload it, uh, you'll have that. So instant reaction and player ratings coming uh, tomorrow evening for our members over on the Another Slice platform. And, uh, of course, the full show will be on Sunday uh, morning where we'll be uh, breaking that one down. Fingers crossed it's a positive one uh, to talk about. I'll see you all uh, very, very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, uh, fingers crossed we get three points on the board. Fingers crossed we can bag a few goals as well. Keep that confidence growing because Lord knows we're going to need it going into the running. Thank you all so much. I'll catch you all soon. Goodbye. <laughs>